And here we go, y'all. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Wednesday. A little hump day show for you. A lot to get to. A lot of NFL breakdown. The games from last weekend. A look ahead to the uh, championship games coming up this weekend. Talk a little bit about the coaching carousel in the NFL. And we'll finish up with some NBA, specifically the latest soap opera over there at... uh, to Penn Plaza, Madison Square Garden, the Knicks, Carmelo Anthony, and the clueless wonder, Phil Jackson. But we start out with uh, quite a weekend in the NFL. Had the games on Saturday, Seattle, uh, Atlanta was the first game. Guys, I told you guys I was high on Atlanta. They showed you why. Um, two great backs, the receiving core. Julio Jones had his way with Richard Sherman early. Then Julio Jones got hurt. Apparently Richard Sherman was also playing with an injury. Um, but listen, that offense is prolific. As a result, looks like Mike Shan- uh, sorry, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan's son, is going to get the uh, head coaching job with the 49ers. We'll get to that later when we talk about the coaching carousel. But, and you know, Listen, Atlanta, again, defense wasn't great. I mean, opening drive, Seattle won the toss, deferred, uh, deferred, sorry. Atlanta won the toss, deferred, kicked off of Seattle. Seattle took the ball right down the field, took about eight minutes off the clock. And if you're Seattle, game could not have started any better. It's exactly what you wanted to do. Take time off the clock and score a touchdown because Atlanta has that prolific offense. Unfortunately. Unfortunately for Seattle, it's still the first quarter. And Atlanta got the ball and came right back down the field and scored themselves. Um, but Atlanta's defense, not, while not great, again, made enough plays, got enough pass rush. They got a couple of guys in that secondary. That, that, this, this Brian Poole kid, undrafted free agent out of Florida, good player. Robert Alford, the other corners, a good player. Talked about Keanu Neal, who, by the way, yes, was named after Keanu Reeves. I believe his mother was a big fan of the Matrix movies and therefore named her son Keanu. By the way, how scary is it that someone could be playing in the NFL because their mother was a fan of the Matrix? I mean, I, listen, I, I, I understand the movie is – I think that movie came out in like 98, 99. It still seems so modern, but meanwhile, that's like 17, 18 years ago already. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, um, but that whole game changed on the punt return uh, that wasn't. Devin Hester, who, who knew he was even still playing? I mean, I knew he was playing because Seattle signed him right before the, the playoff game against the Lions. But um, game is 10-7, Seattle, uh, Atlanta, punts. Hester fields the ball, returns at 78, 79 yards inside this, uh, the Atlanta 10. You know, at worst case scenario, you think Seattle will be up 13-7. Best case, they're going to be up 17-7 and with a ton of momentum. Uh, but it got called back on a holding penalty, not on the return, mind you. It wasn't like a legal block in the back that sprang him for the return. It was called at the line of scrimmage. And now, was it a hold? It was probably a hold. You know, the, the, the Seattle blocker, or yeah, I, at this point he's a blocker, pretty much grabbed the guy by, from Atlanta and, and, you know, tackled him. Now, granted, it was on the line of scrimmage, you know, before the punt, really. Put it this way. If you are a Seattle fan, you're livid with that call. Livid. If I'm a Lions fan and they called that, I would be going bananas. Bananas. Because what it ended up doing is they, 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 they do the, the, the penalty. They mark it off from the spot of where he caught it. So what ended up happening is uh, <laughs> Seattle gets the ball. And it, was like a, it was like a 90-yard penalty, basically, because it was a 79-yard punt return. But So instead of being inside the Atlanta 10, they're inside their own five. And two plays later, Russell Wilson gets his foot stepped on by a backup left go- uh, right guard. In the end zone, gets tackled, safety. Now it's 10-9. Seattle punts to Atlanta, they get possession, come down, kick a field goal, now it's 13-12. So a game, I mean 13-10. 
no, the, yeah, third, yeah, sorry, 12-10. Good math skills. <laughs> but anyway, so it's 12-10. Game that could have been 17-7, at worst case, 10-7, and now you're losing 12-10. And then the other thing that, that changed the whole complexion of this game is Seattle, after a great punt by uh, the Ryan, the Seattle punter, Atlanta started with the ball about six, five minutes left in the first half, leading 12-10, the ball at their own, basically, goal line. And, you know, instead of being conservative and trying to just get out of their own, the shadow of their own end zone and run the ball, and they've got good running backs, as I've mentioned many times. But, no, they're really a throwing team. I mean, their running backs are good. They also involve them heavily in the passing game, and you saw that in the game the other night. They threw the ball because they were like, look, we, got, we have Matt Ryan who's an MVP candidate. We have Julio Jones, who's arguably the best receiver in the league. We're going to throw the ball. That's our identity. That's who we are. See, that's what the Lions lack. They don't have an identity. That's what most good teams, that's what most teams that aren't elite or upper echelon lack. And part of that is obviously you have to have players to have that identity. So Seattle has got the player. I mean, sorry, Seattle. Atlanta has the players. So they threw the ball first down, a little quick slant, Julio Jones, eight yards, boom, and away they went, and they went 99 yards and scored a touchdown and basically left Seattle no time left on the clock to score. So now they're up 19-10, and then that was, that was pretty much it. That was that. You know, you saw uh, Seattle defense coordinator ripping his squad after uh, Atlanta scored in the second half. Um, we all knew that this was not the same Seattle defense as we've seen in years past. And boy, are they mouthy and a bunch of whiners. I mean, that Michael Bennett, would you just stop running him? First of all, nice shoulder pads. You look like an idiot. Second of all, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this guy. wears these tiny little shoulder pads. And, and I guess to show off his guns, he doesn't really have any guns. He's kind of doughy looking, frankly. I mean, look, guy's a hell of a player. But, I mean, always with something to say, him and his dopey brother, Martellus Bennett, tight end for, for New England, the black unicorn. I mean, the self-proclaimed black unicorn. I mean, the, the guy never shuts up. And every time he gets blocked, it's, it's a cheap, dirty play. I mean, he never stops whining, ever. Very mouthy bunch. Mouthy internally, too. I mean, they get on each other on the sidelines. They yell at coaches. <laughs> I mean, you know. But they get away with it because they win a lot. You know, if they were, if they didn't win, that team would be uh, dubbed undisciplined, poorly coached. You know, I mean, Seattle leads the league in penalties every year. Somehow they manage to overcome it, or they're they're among the league leaders in penalties. I should say every year they don't lead the league, but they are among the league leaders in penalties every year. Anyway, uh, the second game I didn't really watch much of because I had an interest. That would be. Uh, an abbreviation for no interest. Um, Houston, uh, New England, we talked about it. You know, huge number, 16. Uh, New England ended up covering the number late. Uh, give Houston credit, though, from what little I did see. I was out at a friend's 50th birthday party. Uh, I actually do have a life sometimes. And uh, so I wasn't exactly paying a ton of attention to the game. Um, but give Houston credit. They hung in there. And if it wasn't for Corey Fuller, not Corey Fuller, Will Fuller, uh, wide receiver out of Notre Dame and his ping pong, ping pong paddles for hands, uh, that game would have been 24-21. But, you know, that was a knock on him coming out of Notre Dame. Great size, great speed. We'll give you some some deep, some deep, you know, some big plays, especially on a deep ball, but, you know, suspect hands. And he showed it on that play. So, but give, give you some credit. I mean, that defense is legit. Jadavion Clowney looks like he's finally, uh, you know, all the hype is legit. He's finally healthy and he's playing hard and he's engaged on every play. They've got a good defense. And they gave the Patriots more than I thought the Patriots thought they were going to get, probably. So, I and look, you know, here's Deion Lewis. Guy I liked, by the way, when he's coming out of pit. Smaller back, short in stature. You know, one of those little sort of jitterbug backs. You know, somehow managed to have a receiving touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and a kick return for a touchdown, you know, all in the same game. I mean, he's a nice player. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, oh, only if he was on the Patriots if that happened. Only. It's unbelievable. 
I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure, I want to say he was an undrafted free agent who was signed by the Eagles. And I think the Eagles let him go. The Browns maybe even had, had him for a brief stint. Um, by the way, and if that's true, Browns, I mean, and, and now you wonder why they're terrible every year. I mean, there's Taylor Gabriel lighting it up for the Falcons. <laughs> and Deion Lewis gets scoring three touchdowns three different ways for the Patriots, but he's not good enough to play for the Browns. Anyway, so I didn't watch a whole hell, hell of a, that, a lot of that game. I can't really talk speak to it too much. Um, but, yeah, I give, I give you some credit. I mean, listen, obviously Brock Osweiler, certainly right now, looks like he is not the answer at quarterback. And when I'm sure somebody's going to get overpaid probably this year from, a, you know, in the court. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I know he puts up big numbers. But uh, and I know they made the playoffs last year and they just missed the playoffs this year. I get it. And I guess if you're Washington, look, you know, you know what you have in him. I guess you got to pay him and bring him back. But to me, you know, he's kind of he's just good enough to get you beat. But anyway, um, so I didn't watch a lot of that game. And then obviously we'll go to Sunday. Two great games. The first game, Dallas Green Bay. I, I mean, listen, it's so funny. I, I I hate Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers so much, and sports hate, by the way. I mean, I don't legitimately hate him as a human being. Sports hate him. Um, that I was I was rooting for Dallas as if I've been rooting for Dallas for, for my whole life. And as you well know, not a huge fan of the Cowboys. Now, that's mostly because of the owner and because of their, their you know, very uh, chirpy fans who like to, you know, crow the second the Cowboys have even the slightest bit of success. Now, as you guys also know, who's ever listened to the show before, my sometimes partner... A.G. is not one of those Cowboys fans. So he is excluded from that group. But uh, most Cowboys fans are insufferable. Um, and I think a lot of them would admit that they're insufferable, probably, too. <laughs> so it's not as if I'm some big, huge Cowboys fan, particularly what happened to us in the playoffs against them two years ago. But that's how much I dislike Green Bay. I was, I was genuinely rooting hard for Dallas. And I screwed myself, too, because I could I – sh- I was going to bet on the Packers because they were getting five points, which meant that they could have lost the game by, obviously, four or less, and I still would have won money. Or if they're going to win, at least I get paid. And that's generally my rule anytime the Lions are favored. That's how I bet. I bet on the other team. And I should have done that in this game. I chickened out at, at the last minute and didn't lay the bet. And there you go. So Dallas fans, it's my fault. I apologize. But listen, uh, I mean, a tremendous game. First of all, we'll start with this ridiculous call on Bryce Butler uh, in, in the beginning of the game when it's 7-3 Green Bay and Dallas is going to have first and 10 at the 15-yard line after like a 20-yard completion of Terrence Williams. And all of a sudden, illegal, participati- illegal participation, 15-yard penalty. I've been watching football for about 40 years. I've never seen that called ever. I've seen 12 men in the huddle call, and it's a five-yard penalty. I've seen too many men on the field. I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen this. And as per AG, and I think he's pretty accurate, he looked this up, it's been called one time since 1984. So in over 30 years, in the last 33 years, that's been called once in a game, not a playoff game, in any game. What does that tell you? Tells me, first of all, Tony Carrenti and his crew are a horror show. That's well known. Secondly, what it tells me is that you are looking specifically for that because it's the Packers. Now, somehow Aaron Rodgers is allowed to quick snap the ball all the time and get teams called for 12 men on the field when there are other teams on defense. That's allowed somehow. He's allowed to game the system somehow. Even Brady doesn't do that. What? He's so much smarter than every other quarterback in the league. The Packers are that much better coached than every other team in the league. That they're the only team that can take advantage of this consistently. So instead of first and 10 at the Green Bay 15, and a worst case scenario, the game's going to be 7 6, could be 10 7 Dallas. Now the ball gets back up 15 yards. Now they're out of field goal range. They end up punting there 
Green Bay gets the ball, comes back, and scores his 14th threat. Completely changed the complexion of that game early. Now, give Dallas a ton of credit for battling back from 21-3. But that was a joke of a call. I mean, they showed the replay. There was no huddle. It's a bunch of guys standing around. It's not a huddle. I mean, you know, listen, I, I don't know what, a de- what, what, what the NFL's definition of a huddle is. I played football. A huddle to me is uh, a bunch of guys in a circle either holding hands or close to it. You know, that's a huddle. Not a bunch of guys sort of standing around. Ridiculous call. But when your favorite nation status, Green Bay Packers, you get that call. Even in Jerry World against the Cowboys. And then the other biggest, the other big play of this game was, you know, Dallas driving, for, uh, you know, 49 seconds left, completion to, to Witten in the 40, to Green Bay's 40 um, uh, to get a first down. 49 seconds with a timeout, Prescott spe- uh, spikes the ball on first down. Idiotic. And I put that on the coaching staff. I'm not sure if they, he was directed to do that or not. I have to think he was. And that's on Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan, the offense coordinator. Yeah, that, that's, it's idiotic. First of all, you had Green Bay on their heels. So now you give them a blow. It's basically like a timeout. Second of all, you've got the timeout. Third of all, time, you don't need to preserve time. You want to score there and leave Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers no time, as we saw. You don't want them to have any time. Ten seconds, maybe. And even then, you never know. You might not be safe because who know, God knows what the refs will call on some Hail Mary or lateral play. You know, somebody's fingernail will graze Aaron Rodgers' face mask and he'll, he'll act like he got shot by a sniper, and then he'll get 15 yards and an untimed down. You never know. So you don't want to give them any time. Plus, he's also really good, <laughs> as we saw. So, I mean, that, that was a mistake on multiple levels. And then, of course, the other reason is now it's second and 10. And, of course, Dallas ends up not getting a first down there. They kick the field goal. There's like 30 seconds left. Green Bay had, they had all their timeouts, and you saw what happened. And then, of course, on second and tw- on second and ten, Jeff Heath comes off the corner, blindside blitz, crushes Aaron Rodgers, doesn't even cover up the ball, somehow manages with just one hand to hang on to the ball. And Orlando Skandrick had come on a blitz from the other side, and he was standing right there. That ball, that ball's fumbled and bounces Orlando Skandrick. That's a scoop and score situation. Game over. You got Danny Don Meredith singing, turn out the lights, the party's over. Dallas wins. But no, of course, charm life Aaron Rodgers somehow manages to hold on to the ball. Remind me of the Jeff Hostetler play against the Bills in the end zone uh, in the Super Bowl, where the Bills got a safety, but it very e- easily could have been a strip sack fumble touchdown. Listen, sometimes you just need a good break. I mean, I give I give Rogers credit if he covered up with his other hand, and I mean, that was just I don't even know why it was just physics, I guess. I mean, obviously, I guess he has strong hands too, but it wasn't like he was consciously aware of it and made an effort to cover up and not fumble. It just so happened he didn't fumble. And think about it: even if he fumbles and Green Bay recovers, let's just say for argument's sake, the ball gets knocked backwards a little bit, and that also probably would have taken a few more seconds off the clock. And then, of course, on third and 20, you know, they let him get outside the pocket. You can't do it. Even if he's going to his left, you can't do it. And then he threads the needle on some ridiculous pass at the sidelines. Again, third and 20, uh, I don't understand how you let anybody get behind you there. And now Jared Cook, the Rams reject. Of course, now it's going to be an all-star, has the game of his life, and makes some big lumbering. I shouldn't say he's lumbering. He's a a pass-catching tight end. He's a big guy. Is able to nimbly barely get his tippy toes in on the sideline just that split second before his knee hits out of bounds. Because to the naked eye, it looked like his knee hit out of bounds first. Just ridiculous. Gut punch loss if you're a Cowboys fan. Obviously, my man AG, not happy about it. I think we may do another, we may do a show Sunday 
perhaps, or next week, and uh, you'll hear all about it from the horse's mouth. But obviously, needless to say, my man, not happy with the outcome of that game, nor was I. And then finally, the Pittsburgh-Kansas City game, which got moved from 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock because of weather concerns. Uh, Great game to watch. Outdoors. You could see the player's breath on the screen. You know, it wasn't the prettiest of games. Steelers kicked six field goals, got in the red zone four times, didn't score any touchdowns, a couple of turnovers. Travis Kelsey, the tight end, very good tight end, generally speaking, for the Chiefs. Huge drop in that game. But again, another team. score. Oh, of course, he had the holding penalty and a two-point conversion that would have tied it. So Pittsburgh's up 18-10. Kansas City comes down and scores about three minutes left. Go for two. They get it to tie it, seemingly, except it gets called back for a hold. Now, again, another team whining and moaning and groaning, the Chiefs. Uh, that was a hold, guys. Eric Fisher had James Harrison around the neck and dragged him down to the ground. He didn't slip. He may have been slipping, but uh, Eric Fisher also had him around uh, the neck with the arm. It's pretty obvious. Travis Kelsey went off on the refs after the game. And listen, I understand you're emotional, you're upset. Um, That was a perfectly legitimate call. But meanwhile, by the way, Chiefs, get a stop and get the ball back. You have plenty of time. There were three minutes left when the Steelers got the ball back and and had terrible field position after penalty on the kick return. So um, you had plenty of chance. You had, you had an opportunity. You get a three and out. You get the ball back probably midfield, only needing a field goal to win the game, by the way, because it's 18-16. So I don't want to hear that that cost you the game. You, your defense had a chance to get off the field and get you the offense the ball back, and they didn't. And you had them. Uh, you know, Steelers run the ball on first down, make Chiefs call timeout. Second down, Al Michaels like, well, they'll surely run it here. Al Michaels, I, I, I generally don't have an issue with Al Michaels, but Al, use your head. Why would they run the ball there? The Chiefs are, are set up to, to, they're selling out to stop the run. There's over, there's like two minutes or 40 seconds left. Time was not the issue. Getting a first down meant the game was going to be over. And again, I understand Le'Veon Bell's great, and he, and, and he ran extremely well that game. I think he had 170 yards or something like that. I get it. But the Chiefs were de- bound and determined to not let him run the ball. And, and, and you saw late in that game, they did a much better job against him, too. He got a majority of his yards the first half of that game. And you got Ben Roethlisberger. You got Antonio Brown. Throw the ball. They threw the ball in second down. Did they get a first down? No, they got five yards, though. And the guy got tackled and bound, so it served its purpose. You got some yards, gave you a third and short. Made the Chiefs burn their last timeout. Shouldn't say burn. Burn is when you waste a timeout to me. They used correctly their last timeout. And then on third down, Roethlisberger makes a throw to Antonio Brown. That's ridiculous. Chiefs come on a zone blitz. Justin Houston. Fine uh, outside linebacker, pass rusher, drops in his own coverage. He's right there. He's right in Antonio Brown's hip pocket. And then Roethlisberger rolls out and just flicks it and lets Brown's speed take over. And he just basically, he threw it to a spot where he knew Brown was going to run to and get it, which was basically right past Justin Houston's ear hole. It was unbelievable. It was an incredible play. He catches it, first down. That's it, game over. Now, of course, you had the Antonio Brown idiotic live Facebook nonsense in the locker room after the game when Mike Tomlin's delivering a heartfelt, rousing post-game victory speech in which he called the Patriots a-holes and did the whole us-against-the-world thing briefly about, you know, they moved our game to Sunday night, the Patriots have had extra time, whatever, it's us against the world, and good for him. And meanwhile, Antonio Brown did that. He wasn't even in the same room where Mike Tomlin and the rest of the team was. He's over in some little other corner of the locker room like a dope. Listen, I love Antonio Brown, the player. Yeah, if you've listened to the show, you've heard me praise him on many occasions. And I generally don't even bother some of his antics, mind some of his antics. They don't even bother me. But this was beyond the pale. So dumb. So anyway... Uh, and then, but this is why the Steelers are a good organization. 
Because they have something like that happen. If that imagine if that happened in New York, that happened for, for, for first of all, if it happened to the Jets, forget it. They might just dismantle the whole team. <laughs> Secondly, uh, we've seen uh, the Giants not handle uh, their own diva wide receiver, OBJ, uh, in the best of ways. So what do the Steelers do? Tomlin comes out, addresses it head on, says it was selfish, says he should know better. He does know better. It's ridiculous. He will be punished, but we will not punish the team i.e. he's not missing the Patriots game, but he will be punished. And then Brown came out with an apology today that was legit. It wasn't one of those bogus, oh, if I offended anybody, I'm sorry apologies. It was, yeah, it was stupid. I got caught up in the moment and the excitement of the win, and I'm sorry, and it was selfish. And you know what? Generally, it looks like generally his teammates seem to genuinely, genuinely like the guy. You know, Roethlisberger said, look, I was, I was disappointed in AB. He's got to, he's got to know better than that. You know, but it's, it's not, it's not, they're not going to make a federal case out of it. And they're going to move on and focus on the Patriots this week, which hopefully will be a great game. I think it will be a great game. All right, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back right after this. And we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. That, of course, was Cheap Trick with Surrender. I neglected to mention at the top of the show that that was the Cars with You're All I've Got Tonight. I think, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to go to the Google later. I think that's a Benjamin Orr song and not Rick Ocasek. You know, they had... uh, they had two singers, really. And let's see. I got to see who said that. That was a Rick Ocasek one. Uh, hmm. Trying to find that out. Because a lot of people are much bigger ben, Benjamin Orr fans uh, than um, Rick Ocasek. Um, which I think is, you know. I think I'm down with that. I think I'm on Team team Ben, if you will. Um, but, of course, I can't seem to go to the Googleator right now and find that out. Anyway, not the end of the world, not all that important. Just thought I would bring it up. Um, uh, we'll talk about, uh, take a look ahead to these weekend's games. Obviously, I'm going all in on Seattle. I mean, sorry, Seattle. Atlanta. I picked him for the Super Bowl two weeks ago. I'm not backing down now. Uh you know, obviously it seems like it's madness at this point to go against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, although their defense, as I pointed out last week, and as everybody else knows, is not very good. And, you know, Dallas basically ran out of time. And Atlanta at home should have no problems putting points on the board against that pretty weak Packers defense. And I think Atlanta's defense, while not great, is better than the, the Cowboys' defense. I think they have a better chance to make a couple of plays. Although, look, Cowboys defense played played their played their 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 asses off in the second half of that game. I mean, and it, by the way, it took a 56-yard field goal. Oh, I forgot to mention, there's another thing I wanted to mention in that game. On the play that the uh, Packers ran before the field goal, they ran, they ran a running play, which is idiotic, by the way. Um, got tackled for a, a big loss. Somehow, the guy got tackled at the 40. Somehow, they marked the ball to 38. Of the Cowboys, ridiculous. I guess they gave him forward progress, a joke of a spot, which is a huge thing because now if the ball's at the forty, maybe McCarthy doesn't even decide to kick there because he's nervous that if the guy misses, first of all, it's a fifty-eight yard field goal. Now I understand Dallas is a dome, nevertheless, and and, and um, uh, not Ryan Longwell, the hell's name, whatever. The, the Packers kicker has a strong leg, but maybe he decides to not kick it there because if he misses, Cowboys are going to have re- really good field position. Maybe he punts, or maybe he does kick it. But by the way, and who knows if he would have kicked it the same way, but based on the 56-yard field goal, 58-yard field goal probably would have been wide right and short because that kick, of course, barely scraped in. And then the second field goal, 
Uh, same thing. Kicked that, looked like he hooked it, and then somehow it fades back in just inside the left upright for the win. Ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, so, you know, so Dallas' defense played a great second half, really. Give them credit. But I think Atlanta's defense is just a little bit better. They have a little bit better pass rush, a little bit better players in the secondary. Well, that Jeff Heath from the Cowboys had the game of his life. Should have had two picks and a sack. Second pick got negated by a penalty, but and it wasn't on him. It was on a different player in the Cowboys. Anyway, so I'm going to have to go with uh, Atlanta. I think they get it done. High-scoring affair. I think they get it done. Moving on to Pittsburgh and New England. And by the way, right now, Vegas is the number at Atlanta laying five uh, against Green Bay. So even though I think a lot of people will pick Green Bay and that number may move, um, Vegas still has Atlanta as a favorite. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, they just blew out Seattle and they're at, they are at home. So... I think it's fair, but I think a lot of people would want to see Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the Super Bowl. I mean, you know everybody wants, and you know probably the league, wants a Green Bay-New England Super Bowl. You know that. I mean, let's let's be honest. Now, the commissioner may not want to see uh, New England win so that he has to hand them the Lombardi Trophy after the whole deflategate thing. Uh, Who knows? But... uh, I think certainly from a ratings perspective, I mean, the Super Bowl always gets big numbers. We know this, but uh, New England, Green Bay, I think is the dream matchup. Now, I may not even watch that game. I mean, I've got a comment, a couple of Super Bowl boxes. That's the only thing that would make me watch that game. I would, I would go to, yeah, yeah, I, ne- I generally don't do Super Bowl parties. I'd probably go to a Super Bowl party, barely pay attention to the game, and only pay attention to see if my numbers hit. Because I'm in all kinds of these. I'm in a score change one. I'm in a quarters one. That would be my only reason and interest in watching that game. Because I couldn't hate two teams more than the Packers and the Patriots. But hopefully Atlanta wins. And then Pittsburgh, New England. Games in New England. Of course, New England's the favorite. I'm not sure what the number is there. I guess it's probably about five also. And... I'm actually going to go with Pittsburgh here. I know they played earlier in the year. No Roethlisberger. I don't really put a lot of stock in what happened, you know, two months ago, even if Roethlisberger had played. But I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. Their defense has been playing really well the last two months. They're on a huge roll. New England looked slightly, um, yeah, they looked slightly vulnerable against Houston. Now, Pittsburgh's defense isn't as good as Houston's. I don't think they had the pass rush. But they've got playmakers on that defense. Harrison still gets it done. Ryan Shazier makes plays. Lawrence Timmons makes plays. William Gay in the secondary makes plays. Sean Davis, rookie from Maryland, making some plays. Cockrell makes plays back there. It's a good, pretty good, pretty good defense. And obviously their offense is unmatched. And... This might be the first time that Tom Brady actually has to play against a quarterback who's pretty good. Not the, the run-of-the-mill junk that he always gets to go up against. So I'm going with the Steelers there. So it will be a Pittsburgh-Atlanta Super Bowl, which, by the way, would be highly entertaining. Two phenomenal offenses... High-scoring, high-powered, great receivers, two, three great running backs, do-everything running backs, Freeman and Coleman on Atlanta, Le'Veon Bell on Pittsburgh. I mean, that's you, you like offense. That's the Super Bowl. Not that New England and Green Bay don't have good offenses, too, but I think uh, Pittsburgh and, and Atlanta would be a phenomenal game to watch. I know I'm biased. I'm not saying I'm not. But I think objectively speaking, again, if you like offense, it's a great game. It's a great game. 
All right, we'll go to the coaching carousel. You know, I said a few weeks ago, kind of rank the jobs in order. I know I, people are going to think I'm crazy. I think that Jacksonville job's a sneaky good job. They gave the job to Doug Marone, who was the interim coach. You know, you know his story. He was the head coach of the Bills. Thought he was going to get the Jets job. He didn't. He had to go to Jacksonville's last resort to be the O-line coach. They fired Gus Bradley finally. Uh, three games to go. Jacksonville played well. They won one of them. They were leading in the other two. They hired Coughlin to be a special senior advisor to the personnel department. Again, the biggest problem with them is they need to find a quarterback and or do they believe in Blake Bortles? Because there's a lot of talent on that team on both sides of the ball. Otherwise. Not that it's no small thing. I'm not saying it's easy. And again, watch the name Ryan Nassib. Played for Coughlin in... Uh, New York, played for Marone at Syracuse. He's a free agent. Would not be shocked to see him brought there. Maybe then, I'm not just saying I'm going to hand him the keys, but certainly to compete for that job. Second job, Anthony Lynn, who was the Buffalo interim coach after they fired Rex, who was elevated offensive coordinator second and third game of the year after they fired Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator. He got the Chargers job. Also happens to be African-American. Good for the Chargers. Now, I think that job is a mess because now the Chargers are moving to L.A. because, you know, another billionaire owner, God forbid, he pays his own money. And the city of San Diego said, guess what? No, we're not going to agree to a huge tax increase and taxpayer-funded stadium for the Chargers. No, thank you. Thank you very much. So now, so now, by the way, L.A. fans, awesome for you. If you lived in L.A. and you're not um, – and you always got to see the best game of the week every every week because there was no teams. Now you get to treat it to two crappy teams in the Rams and the Chargers. So that's good. Good for you guys. You guys are very happy. I mean, how ridiculous is it that there was no football in L.A. for about 30 years and nobody cared, frankly. Nobody cares about football in L.A. They got a million other things to do out there. And now there's two teams within the last three years. Idiotic. And then Denver Vance Joseph got the job. Another African-American dude. Was a uh, defense coordinator for the Dolphins. Buffalo hired Sean McDermott. Defense coordinator from Carolina. The Rams made a big splash, supposedly, because they hired a 30-year-old named Sean McVay who is the offensive coordinator for the Redskins. Raise your hand if you ever heard of him. But, man, could he, he gave a great press conference. Now, I love this idea, by the way, that you have to make a big splash because you're the Rams and you're in Los Angeles. I mean, could there be any more of a lazy, could there be a more lazy, tired storyline than that? It's the same thing. Oh, in New York, you can never rebuild. The fans won't allow it. That's a bunch of junk. Of course we will. You're a smart fan, you'll allow it. Would you rather watch mediocrity for five years? You watch a team like break it down, tear it down, and if you rebuild the right way and win, fans will be there. They'll come back. They'll be fine. Believe me. You know how you make a splash? You hire a good coach who knows what the hell he's doing, who wins. You hire a good GM and a good coach, and you have a good owner. That's how you make a splash. A stupid storyline, that is. Oh, the, the Rams, they got to make a big splash. So they made one by hiring a 30-year-old that nobody ever heard of. Look, this guy might be, it might turn out to be a great coach. He might. Seems unlikely. And in San Francisco, apparently, is going to hire Kyle Shanahan. Talked about that earlier. And there was some also some talk that his dad, Mike Shanahan, who used to coach in San Francisco, he's never the head coach, but he coached, I believe, under Bill Walsh and George Seifert, uh, offensive coordinator, may be hired to run the front office there. So we'll see about that. So, good job, though, from a diversity standpoint by the NFL with the head coaches. You just added Anthony Lynn and Vance Joseph. You already have Mike Tomlin. you got Marvin Lewis. You've got my man Jim Caldwell. Who am I forgetting? Am I forgetting somebody? 
thought there were thought there were six African American head coaches in the NFL. Maybe not. Let's take a look. Go to the NFL page. I gotta look. I, I need to look. I need to see the teams in front of me in order to be able. I can't think off the top of my head. All right, let's go. Uh, Patriots, no. Dolphins, no. Oh, no, right. Todd Bowles. Jets, right. That's the one. Yep, there you go. So six. Pretty good. And finally, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, the Knicks are a disaster. Um, as usual, by the way. I mean, it, it's an, it's incredible the incompetence and ineptitude that has taken place over there at Madison Square Garden the last 15, however many so years. I mean, they, they, they are really just a complete and total and utter embarrassment of an organization. And this latest Phil Carmelo flap, uh, you know, now, so apparently Phil, his little lackey, his little mouthpiece is Charlie Rosen, who, again, if you ever heard of this clown, raise your hand. But boy, he's got lots of things to say. And he's one of these guys who believes that Phil Jackson basically invented basketball. Phil Jackson, okay, is the biggest fraud in the history of the NBA. That's right. The biggest fraud in the history of the NBA. Take your 11 rings and stick them where you you know where. I don't care. He's showing it now that this guy was the luckiest victim, if you will, or beneficiary, I should say, of circumstance ever. Always had the best players. Had Jordan, had Pippen, Horace Grant, and the entire league uh, NBA referees on his side. Then he had Shaq and Kobe in their primes. Real hard to win when you always have the best players and then the deck is always stacked in your favor. What a joke this guy is. You had the Derrick Rose situation where he disappears and bails on his team. Phil Jackson says nothing. Now you have players throwing Hornacek under the bus because they're getting mad. These scrubs like Courtney Lee, who Phil Jackson signed to a $50 million contract, who Jeff Hornacek rightly benched the other day because Courtney Lee's supposed to be a glue guy, supposed to be an intangibles guy, supposed to be a defender. He doesn't guard anybody, from what I can tell. This man beats him off the dribble constantly. So Hornacek benched him, and he's all upset. Tweeted out a picture of Dumb and Dumber. And then tried to claim, oh, I wasn't referring to the coach. It's it's just a situation. And then you've got Derrick Rose uh, apparently publicly yelling at Hornacek after Hornacek had the temerity to to yell at him after he also, by the way, got got beat by his man and gave up a three-pointer when the Knicks were up two the other day, uh, yesterday against Atlanta, or Monday against Atlanta. The one thing he can't do there is give up a three, and he, gave, he lets his guy shoot it. And, of course, the guy makes it. By the way, his guy, Dennis Schroeder, is a good player, point guard for the uh, Fal- uh, Falcons, for the, for the Hawks, not known as much of a shooter, was 13 for 16. 13 for 16. How is a guard... In the NBA, 13 for 16. That's almost ridiculous. Let's, I mean, what is this, Will Chamberlain in 1965? 13 for 16. Are you kidding me? This Derrick Rose stinks too. He doesn't guard anybody. And yet he's going to get all mad. So the players are rebelling. No leadership whatsoever. No accountability whatsoever. This is totally not Jeff Warnesek's fault. He's been completely neutered by Phil Jackson's refusal to get involved, to say anything, to set any kind of a standard, to demand any accountability. So anyway, this Charlie Rosen came out and said, oh, you know, Carmelo basically is selfish and he's outlived his usefulness, all, all of which, by the way, are true. And I'm pretty sure Phil Jackson wanted this guy to do this, to basically try to force Melo's hand. Because Phil Jackson, like a moron, A, re-signed Carmelo to a max money deal, and B, gave him a no-trade clause. That's not Carmelo's fault, folks. That's Phil Jackson. Nobody put a gun to his head. 
So now he's, he realizes he made a massive mistake. His hands are tied. So what's the best thing to do? And he knows the owner. See, the problem Phil has is that the owner, Jimmy D in the one shot, or whatever his idiotic, stupid, uh, supposed blues band is named, uh, he likes Carmelo. So Phil, Phil's in a tough spot now. So he can't really come out and kill Carmelo. So what's the be- next best thing? You have your little mouthpiece, Charlie Rosen, do it. Real mature, Phil, by the way. And this is how a, a leader of an organization is supposed to behave. What a joke. And, of course, it all starts with the owner. I mean, he's the biggest problem, as we've seen. I mean, ever since Dolan took over the, the Knicks and, and Madison Square Garden, they've been a complete mess. The only the last time they had any sustained, sustained success with the man Gundy was there. And that was begrudgingly. That's because Ewing could still play, and he basically demanded Van Gundy be the coach. So you had Carmelo hear this, these comments, and finally they said, look, that's the way that, uh, Phil Jackson feels. Then maybe we ought to have a conversation. They don't want me here anymore. Maybe we'd have a conversation. So apparently they had a big powwow yesterday and sat down, and apparently Carmelo said, listen, I don't want to go anywhere. I do want to be here. Which I don't blame Carmelo. I'm not a Carmelo fan. I don't like his game. I don't like really anything about him on the court. There's something about him I can't necessarily put my finger on it. I find it very unlikable. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he has perfect. I don't think he has bad intentions. I just I'm just not a fan. He was never our guy. I didn't want the Knicks to trade for him when they traded for him. I was enjoying that team that year. I was enjoying Gallinari and Wilson Chandler and Stoudemire. And a svelte and, and in shape and effective Raymond Felton when D'Antoni was the coach. That was a fun team. I didn't want Carmelo coming here. So I never wanted him here in, to, in the first place. And then when they had the ability to move on from him and again rebuild the right way, Phil Jackson blew it. And now he's stuck. But it's not Carmelo's fault. Somebody, look, Carmelo loves it in New York. His wife loves it. Apparently his kids love it. And listen, Carmelo's not a lunatic like Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Guys who are so consumed with winning that that's all they think about. And they will run over anyone and anything to make sure that they win. That's not Carmelo. And by the way, that part I find actually refreshing. He's not a horrible human being like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. He's probably a pretty good guy. Been re- recently outspoken as far as social issues are concerned. You know, and if, look at it from Carmelo's perspective. Okay? Guy came from less than humble beginnings. He's made more money than he could ever dream of. He won a national championship in college. He has three gold medals. Whether or not you think that's much of a an accomplishment. I don't necessarily, but he does. He enjoys playing in the Olympics. He loves it. They've won the gold medal three times. He's been on the team to him. That's a major accomplishment from his perspective. He's like, look, I mean, I'm going to make $200 million at least playing, just playing basketball. Forget about all the endorsements and everything else. I love New York city. It's the greatest city in the world. I live like a King. My wife loves it. She's an actress. Kind of. My kids love it, or I don't know if he has more than one kid. I know he has definitely one kid. Kid loves it. Why am I going to let Phil Jackson run me out of town? Sorry, you're stuck with me. And if we win, great. I mean, I'm not saying Carmelo doesn't want to win. Of course he wants to win. Everybody wants to win, but he's not singularly driven by the idea and the prospect of winning. And I can understand. I mean, he's 32 years old. He's not, I know this doesn't sound old, that he's old by NBA standards because remember he came out he's 19 so he's played 13 years and although he gives you very little effort on defense he's a physical offensive player so he's taken a, a bunch you know he's had a bunch of surgeries on his knees he's taken a beating that's an old 32 you're looking at his best days are behind him by a lot think about it if you come out if you stay in college for two three years, you come in a league at 22, you've been in a league 13 years, that's 35. He's basically 35, 36 years old in a 32-year-old's body. That's old for any sport, pretty much, 35 or 36. 
You know, so he's probably like, look, I don't want to go someplace to start again. I mean, you know, the only thing I don't understand is why he wouldn't, if the Knicks could figure out a way to get him to go play with his buddy LeBron or his buddy Chris Paul in L.A., where he'd have a great shot at being a, at winning a ring, and he wouldn't have to be the guy. He could be a very complimentary piece. You know, you know, Carmelo reminds me of basically with probably a nicer attitude. He's basically Mark Aguirre. When Mark Aguirre got traded to the Pistons, and he was sort of the final piece for them as a score low post threat. Because that Pistons team was all about defense. I mean, yes, they had Lambeer and they had Isaiah. And they had Vinnie Johnson off the bench. But they needed that, that last piece. And Mark McGuire was it. Carmelo would be a perfect fit for one of these other teams. Now, Cleveland is traded for Kyle Korver. He's a great shooter. You know, they probably, they probably have enough firepower as it is to at least make the finals again this year. But if you're going to go up against Golden State, you'd probably like to have Carmelo on that team too. Or if you're the Clippers and you want to try to unseat Golden State, you know, I don't know if you could figure out a way to get him and Blake Griffin to play together. Blake Griffin's not playing right now. And Chris Paul's going to be out for the next six to eight weeks, by the way, with a thumb injury. It's a big blow for the Clippers. But that's the only thing I don't understand is why he wouldn't want to go to one of those teams. Again, be a, a lot would have to happen, you know from a salary cap standpoint, trying to make contracts work, getting players back and all that stuff. Um, but short of that, yeah, why would he leave New York? And again, I don't blame him. And I'm not a fan of his st- of his play. I don't love his game at all. I mean, he's spectacularly on clutch. You saw it again the other day. After Rose drives to the basket, gets fouled, doesn't get the call, Carmelo gets the offensive rebound, basically point blank range, point blank range for the putback, a little bunny, and he misses it. I mean, he made a couple of shots here and there. Yeah, but he misses way more than he makes in, in clutch situations. So, listen, as far as the Knicks are concerned, there's really no reason to pay attention to them anymore. And it's a shame because it's just more of the same dysfunction and nonsense. All right, that's it for tonight's show. We'll be back next week breaking down the championship games. Until then, enjoy the rest of the week and peace out.